Uh, I'm just going to pick up from where I've been uh, teaching on the last times that I've been teaching. Um, I believe that this is a message that the Lord has given to me for this time and this hour for our church individually, uh, our church and you individually. I think it is the message for these end times. And I believe that uh, there's always preparation that needs to take place before God does something. There's always preparation in our individual's lives and in a congregation to do what God wants to have done. And so my mandate from the Holy Spirit is to prepare you. That's what the Lord has called me to do. And so some of the subjects that I've been sharing lately are not popular, popular subjects. But you know what? I don't care if they're popular or not. They're important. They're so important that it will make a difference to how you respond to the Holy Spirit and how this church responds to the Holy Spirit. And I believe that God is speaking directly to us through the scriptures. And so I'm, we've been following the children of Israel because the Lord just impressed on me that uh, as they moved towards their promised land, they encountered a lot of difficulties, mostly internal, that they had to fight. And a lot of them perished along the way. Because you see, this is the deal. Anytime that a congregation or people start to move forward and follow the Lord, there is always opposition on many different fronts. And we follow the children of Israel as they internally, there was strife, there was unbelief, there was discord, there was rebellion. A lot of different issues that arose as they were marching towards the promised land. And because of much of that internal problems, then uh, many of them didn't even get to go in. And so the whole congregation wandered around for 40 years. And you know, I, can't, I, I can hardly imagine, I, I guess I can, but here we've come up to our promised land. And now what if we had to wait 40 more years to get in? I mean, we're excited. Yay. It's going to be July the 30th or the 6th. And then all of a sudden, we can't go in because of our problems internally. And so we wonder for 40 more years. I mean, that's the way they felt. And it was probably devastating. So in Joshua, the third chapter, they have finally come back around again. They've actually had a couple of battles under their belt on the other side of Jordan and been victorious and God has shown himself strong for them as a precursor for what's going to happen when they get inside of the promised land. 
but it also gives them a clue of what their life is going to look like when they get into the promised lands. They're going to need supernatural assistance from God because they're getting ready to go in and they're getting ready to fight some enemies externally now. And they're getting ready to possess enemy territory. So as they face this border of Jordan, this is a critical moment for them. So they have been listening now to the instructions of the Lord in order to do them. Before, God would tell them something and they would just complain and uh, it caused death. Death in the camp. But now they see how serious it is. How serious it is to listen to what God tells them to do in order that they can have fulfill the purpose that God brought them to the promised land. So in Joshua, the third chapter... Um, I'm going to just jump to verse 5. Uh, they talk about the Ark of the Covenant, how they need to keep that Ark in sight, which is the presence of the Lord. And that's a whole other sermon. Um, how they need to keep a certain distance. I mean, it, it's precise what they're told to do. Because they hadn't been that way before. And you know what? We haven't been this way before either. Not just with our new church, but individually, we're entering into a time that we have not been this way before. The world is going crazy out there. And we've got to know how to navigate what's going on out there in the darkness of this world. With our hand in the Lord's hand. But there are some prerequisites. And I don't believe that the instructions that were given to jo uh, through Joshua. Are any different than what God would give to us today. As we come to the very brink of what God wants us to do. And what he has promised for us. And so in verse 5. Joshua said to the people, sanctify yourselves. That is, separate yourselves for what? A special holy purpose. Now, we have a purpose. As a church, it's a holy purpose. It comes from God. You individually have a purpose. It came from God. But the only way that you will fulfill your purpose is through sanctification. We're going to talk about that. For the reason we're going to sanctify ourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among us. Now the truth is you can't do what you've been called to do by yourself. I can't do what God's called me to do by myself. I must have 
the grace of God, I must have the anointing of God to fulfill what God, the very purpose God put me on this earth to do. I can't do it on my own. We as a church can't do this on our own. You know, we, God has done some wonders through us already. We've gotten this far with hardly having to use our line of credit at the bank. We have, we have started using our line of credit. We need a mil, at least a million more dollars. That's a supernatural thing that we need God to do in our midst. Do you think God is big enough to give us a, a million dollars? Actually, a million and a half, but we're going to sell this building. Do you really believe that God can do this kind of wonders in our midst? I mean, it's just one thing that we need God to do. There's many more. We're believing for signs and wonders. We're believing for miracles. I want to see people born again. I want to see them filled with the Spirit. I want to see them healed. I want to see them delivered from darkness. Wonders. God wants to do wonders in our midst. But the prerequisite is sanctification. I want to talk about that this morning. It's actually the same word that we use, holiness. So we could use it interchangeably. Sanctification and holiness. So I want to give you a definition of sanctification. Now when I grew up, I grew up in a church that's, that this was the main teaching in the church that I grew up in was sanctification. You must be sanctified. That's what they stressed the most. And so I was very familiar with this term, but I didn't really know what it meant. I just I think there was a lot of, of teaching that was in error about it because it implied that you would never sin once you were sanctified, that it was an experience equal to the baptism in the Holy Spirit, which they did use interchangeably, and then you would never sin. Oh, I didn't see anybody in the, in the denomination that I was in that was actually sanctified then. There was no one. That fit that description, myself included. So sanctification actually means to be set apart or declared holy. Now that's a scary word when we look at it, holy. I mean, most of us would not look in the mirror and say, holy, holy, holy. But yet, sanctification means to be set apart or declared holy. And then the secondary meaning is the action or process of being freed from sin or purified. So what we see in this definition is the both of the aspects of sanctification that will take place in a Christian's life. First of all, when you're set apart and declared holy, that's your position before God. Secondly, the action or the process of being freed from sin and purified, that's the behavioral part. Now, I want to give you some scriptures. Uh, Ephesians 1, 4. 
Even as in his love, he chose us. He actually picked us out for himself as his own in Christ before the foundation of the world that we should be, what? Holy, consecrated, and set apart for him and blameless in his sight, even above reproach before him in love. Now, this is the positional part of sanctification. It's kind of like on July the 7th, 1962, in Sealing, Oklahoma, in a little friend's church. It was hot as all get out. They turned the air conditioner off so it wouldn't blow out the candles. It was hot and humid, and Charlie and I stood before... His father, who was a friend's preacher, and we, we uh, confessed our vows to one another. And when that ceremony was open, over, I was positionally Charles Mendenhall's wife. I didn't have to try to be. It was a done deal. Positionally, I was his wife. Did I know how to be a wife? I'm glad he's not here for you to ask him because I didn't know. I didn't know how to cook. I didn't know, in, I didn't know how to clean house. Oh, my goodness. There was a lot of things I didn't know when I started. But I began to pursue what positionally I had received. Behaviorally, I began to pursue that behavior that would turn me into a good wife. So I learned his likes and his dislikes. I learned that he did not like onions. That was devastating. So I learned how to cook with onions and hide them so he would never know. <laughs> and he didn't. He thought I was a good cook. I learned what pleased him and what didn't please him. But that was a process. As I behaviorally began to walk out what I had received positionally. And so this is a picture of sanctification. Let's look at 1 Peter 1, 14 and 15. Live. Now, this is the behavioral part. Live as children, of, as children of obedience to God. Do not conform yourself to the evil desires that governed you in your former ignorance when you did not know the requirements of the gospel. But as the one who called you is holy... You yourself also, and we could, according to the Greek in this, it also should be becoming holy in all our conduct and manner of living. Is there a lifestyle that goes along with being a Christian? Some people preach that no. But I'm going to tell you, there is a lifestyle. And we should be pursuing that lifestyle. Now, I know one thing for sure. 
The devil doesn't want us to know that we're holy, and he doesn't want us to become holy. He is trying to stop your progress. We need to know that as we begin to pursue holiness. So um, let's look at 1 Peter 5, 8. We've, we've looked at this, but I want to look at it again just to remind you. Be well-balanced, temperate, sober of mind. Be vigilant and cautious at all times for that enemy of yours. The devil roams around like a roaring lion in fierce hunger, seeking someone to seize upon and devour. Now, the last time that I taught, I talk, talked about opening the door to, through sin to let the devil in. Sin always opens the door and lets the devil in. And so, uh, according to this, he's looking for open doors. He's, he's sniffing around in people's lives looking for open doors that he can get in. And I can tell you that if he gets in, your progress towards holiness is stopped. It's put on hold until the repentance comes. But he wants to steal, kill, and destroy. And he would rather steal, kill, and destroy in your life before you get a chance to show the world the holiness of God in your life. So he's going he's gonna to come. I'm just warning you. It says to be vigilant. Keep your eyes open. Figure out what he's trying to do in your life. Now, in 2 Corinthians, the 10th chapter, starting in the 13th verse, it talks about this process of the devil coming. So, uh, 1 Corinthians 10, 13. So, listen to this. For no temptation or trial regarded as enticing to sin... No matter how it comes or where it leads, has overtaken you and laid hold on you that is not common to man. That is, no temptation or trial has come to you that is beyond human resistance and that is not adjusted and adapted and belonging to human experience and such as man can bear. But God is faithful to his word and to his compassionate nature. And he can be trusted. Not to let you be tempted and tried and assayed beyond your ability and strength of resistance and power to endure. But will with the temptation. This is God. God will always also provide the way out what? The means of escape to a landing place that you may be capable and strong and powerful to bear up under it patiently. Now, God is really good at knowing how to provide escape. Now, we see the birds flying in the air. The birds flying around, but on the ground, there's these kitty cats. 
Now, cats are a natural predator of a bird. So, God gave birds wings to fly, to escape the cats. But you know what? This morning when I went out, there was a dead bird out in my yard and my cat was eating on it. How could that happen? Birds fly, cats can't. How did my cat get that bird? Well, I'll tell you how. That bird was not vigilant and did not take the way of escape. Now, I love cats, so I didn't scold my cat. But I do know that coyotes are a cat's natural predator. How do I know? I've lost countless numbers of cats to coyotes. And yet, cats can climb trees, and coyotes can't. So how come I lost so many cats to coyotes? Because those cats weren't vigilant, and they did not take that way of escape. Because I've seen my cat, now she is a climber. And I mean, if it's the slightest, I mean, if it looks slightly strange, she's up a tree just like that. She's still alive. Because she's vigilant. Thank God she will stay that way. So, God is good at making ways of escape. So he said, now when the demons or the devil comes to you, he has made a way of escape for you if you're vigilant. you got to be vigilant and take that way of escape. If you don't, the enemy comes to what? Steal, kill, and to destroy. He's after your progress. He's after everything you have. So uh, James 4, 7 says, this is, we're going to start looking at the way of escape. So be subject to God. Resist the devil. Stand firm against him, and he will flee from you. So we could say the way of escape, one of the major ways of escape is that word resist. Resist the devil. Uh, the word resist means to withstand the action of or effect of, struggle or fight back when pressured or attacked, refrain from doing something tempting or unwise, try to prevent any action or try to prevent by action or argument. Now, if we would look at 1 Peter uh, 5 verse 9, where it talks about, you know, we've talked about how the devil comes like a roaring lion seeking someone to destroy. Verse 9 says the way of escape. Withstand him. 
Be firm in faith against his what? Onset. What, is that? what would that mean, onset? That would mean when he first comes. Don't toy with him. Don't. I saw a bird yesterday. My cat, I was trying to get it in the shed. And uh, she was laying there on the ground. And this bird came swooping down within inches of my cat. And my cat got with just inches from grabbing that bird out of the air. That bird was not very wise. That bird was toying with that cat. Now, we can't toy with the enemy. Don't toy with him. Resist him, withstand him at the onset. Establish strong, immovable, and determined, knowing that the same identical sufferings are appointed to your brotherhood, the whole body of Christ throughout the world. So I just wanted to use that first part there, withstand him. Be firm in the faith against his onset. Now, <clears throat> I remember early on when we, we were just starting in the ministry, I was sitting in a service, and I was thinking about, uh, I, I don't know if the preacher was preaching about the enemy or anything. I don't even know. I just vividly remember hearing the voice of God saying, do you know the most important word you can say to the devil? And I was listening. And he said, the most important word you can say to the devil is no. How simple is that? Just say no. But the problem is sometimes we don't recognize it's the devil. Now that's a big problem. For instance, there's people that they get offended at every little thing. And uh, they don't know the devil's doing that to them. They just think that was, that's a natural response to get offended. Let me tell you, if you get offended, it's the devil. Write it down. Put it on your refrigerator if you're offended, it's the devil. You don't have to get offended. People may come to, with offense, but you do not have to take the offense. You need to recognize the devil when he comes. If there is depression in your life, it's the devil. It's not hormones. I mean, the hormones can contribute, but... You don't have to be depressed. The joy of the Lord is your strength. I don't know how, how much it takes for us to learn this stuff, but you know, you'd think I would have learned it. But Friday was July the 7th, which was significant. That was the day that Charlie and I were married, 61 years ago. So when I woke up on Je July the 7th, I thought of this year, that was Friday, I thought this would have been our 61st anniversary. And you know, I didn't say it, I didn't even think it, but unconsciously I thought, you should be sad today. 
And it didn't take very long for me to feel depressed, start and feel depressed. And the longer the day went, the more depressed I felt. And I found myself crying, and I hadn't cried for a long time, crying and crying. And I, I just thought, I mean, the presence of the Lord was nowhere to be seen. I was, having, I was having a real struggling day. And I thought, man, I'll be glad when this day's over. And finally, at the end of the day, I was so, I was so depressed. I thought, I have to have some help. So I called Sharon Kraber. And I said, you know what, I think I need a little help here. And I explained what was going on. And she said, oh, it's just the devil attacking you. And I thought, oh, could it be that it was the devil? See, he can sneak around. And as I thought about it, I thought, yeah. You know, there's not one thing depression can do for me today. There is no profit in it whatsoever. No profit whatsoever in me crying all day long. It'll never bring him back. Still be the same day. And all of a sudden, the joy of the Lord came back. Whew. And I thought, oh, this is what it feels like to be free from the devil, from the onslaughts of the devil. See, we've got to stay vigilant. You have to know that it's the devil. And sin, I mean, that's easy to figure that out. If the Bible says don't do it, you better not do it. If the Bible says to do it, do it. Simple as that. So the first line of defense and escape is to just say no. Devil, <laughs> no you don't. Secondly, don't adopt the devil's plan. When he comes, he comes with plans, strategies. He comes to get you, first of all, maybe depressed, maybe angry. Let me tell you, if you get angry, you, the Bible is very explicit about anger. It says it does not work the righteousness of God. You think that getting angry at someone is going to change something and make something better? The Bible says it doesn't. It says it doesn't work that way. I'm reminded of, of this book. I talk about it quite often that I got from uh, Meshach Omendi from Africa. It's called Snatched from Satan's Claws. And it's about a sorcerer who got saved, but he tells us the other side of the story before he gets saved. And he was so he was so, such a strong sorcerer that he was one of 120 that was taken out into the spirit realm and taught personally by the devil how to defeat Christians and destabilize churches. And it's a pretty eye-opening book. And he talks about that he could see into the spirit realm and he could look at people's lives and he could see them either clothed or unclothed 
If they were clothed, he couldn't touch them. And he said a Christian that's obeying God is covered with the blood of Jesus and he can't touch them. But if they're unclothed, he can do anything with them he wants to. And he made this statement, there are two major things that will unclothe a Christian. Number one is depression. Number two is anger. Maybe you should take a note of that. Because those are open doors. And those are just two. But sin is another one, any kind of sin. So, the devil's plan is to unclothe a Christian so that he can destroy, get into the person's life and start tearing stuff up and making a mess out of the lives. So, we have authority. How many of you know? How many of you don't know that you have authority? You know, most of us should know. You know, Brother Hagen, uh, an account of his, uh, a vision that he had. He was, uh, he was praying and, and the, Jesus appeared to him. And he began to talk, teach him about demons and demonic oppression and so on. And he was listening to Jesus and this little demon came running up and got between him and Jesus. And he said, yuckety yuck, 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 yuckety yuck, yuck, yuck. And, it, and uh, Brother Hagin couldn't hear what Jesus said and it was, it was frustrating him. He knew he needed to hear what Jesus said and he kept waiting for Jesus to uh, get rid of that demon and nothing happened and nothing happened. And finally, Brother Hagin got so frustrated, he just said, get out of here in Jesus' name. And when he said that, the little demon just sunk to the ground and scooted out the back door. And Jesus made this statement. He said, if you hadn't have done something about that, I couldn't have. And Brother Hagin said, you mean you wouldn't have? And Jesus said, no, I couldn't have. So when the devil comes into your life, Jesus is not the one that can rebuke the devil for you. He can't say no to the devil for you. You have got the authority. And you've got to speak to the devil. <clears throat> when it's the devil, you don't pray. When it's the devil, you say. There's times you pray, but you don't pray about the devil. There's times you say. And you tell him what to do. If you don't tell him what to do, he won't do it. But if you tell him in the name of Jesus, he must obey. No ifs and or buts, he must obey. So, God has given us a way of escape. So that we can do what the word of God tells us to do in Hebrews 12, 14. Hebrews 12, 14 says, Strive to live with, in peace with everybody and pursue that consecration and holiness without which no one will ever see the Lord. 
Now stop there for just a minute. Pursue means to seek, to attain, seek to attain, or accomplish a goal over a long period of time. Now, if you have been a Christian for 20 years, 40 years, you should be a long ways towards your goal. You should be. If you're just getting started, then just start pursuing. We're all on different levels spiritually. God does not expect you to attain to a level that he expects out of me. I've been a Christian almost, well, probably 75 years. I've been a Christian. I should be a long, long ways up the line. But if you're just getting started, hey, you're started. Pursue it. Pursue holiness. Without which, put that back up there, please. Without which... No one will ever see the Lord. Now, do you, not, you think they just threw that in there just to have something to say? I mean, there is a prerequisite for seeing the Lord. So what does it mean if you're not going to have pursue holiness or consecration? If you're not going to pursue it, you're not going to see the Lord. That's what it says. Right? Okay. What this means is, for instance, I am a citizen of the United States of America. I'm under the government of the White House and the person that's in the White House. And I am affected by that person's decisions, just like 332 million American citizens are. All of us, you know, we're subject to the laws and so on. The decisions of that person that's sitting there in the White House. But I have never had an audience with any of the presidents that's been in my lifetime. I know about him. I see him on television. But I don't have an audience with him. And I don't have an intimate relationship with them. Some of them, I'm, they say, thank goodness. But some of them, you know, I, I would like to know them. But there are people that see them every day. There's people that have an audience with them every day. And they know them. And they know they can see them any time. So they have an intimate relationship with them. So this scripture says, no behavioral holiness, no seeing Jesus. You're not going to experience an intimate relationship with him apart from pursuing holiness. Now, God will meet you on your level, wherever he, he expects you to be. He'll meet you there. So, my question is, as we're wrapping this up, 
My question is, how do you know when you're holy enough? So let's look at uh, Romans 8, 29. For those whom he foreknew of whom, whom he was aware and loved beforehand, he also destined from the beginning for ordaining them to be molded into the image of his son and share inwardly his likeness that he might become the firstborn among many brethren. So go back to the first of that. What is our goal? To never miss church on Sunday? I wish that was it. What is our goal? Pray every day, read your Bible? That's good. But our goal for true holiness is this. That we be molded into the image of Jesus Christ. That when the world looks at us, when the world looks at you, they see Jesus. That's our goal. Because if Jesus be lifted up, all men will be drawn unto him. 2 Corinthians 3, 16 and 18 says this. But whenever a person turns in repentance to the Lord, the veil is stripped off and taken away. Now the Lord is a spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty and emancipation from bondage. Those are prescriptures to this one. And all of us with unveiled faces, because we what? Continue to behold in the word of God, as in a mirror the glory of God, are constantly being transfigured into his very own image. In ever-increasing splendor and from one degree of glory, for this is, comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. These two scriptures tell us what we're headed for. If you're pursuing holiness, this is what you're headed for. To be like Jesus. To be conformed into the image of Jesus. That's our measuring stick. Not, you don't measure your life by my life or any other person's life. You measure your life against the life of Jesus. That's where we're headed. So Revelation 7 and 8 says this. This is the clincher. Let us rejoice and shout for joy, excluding and triumphant. Let us, let us celebrate and ascribe to him glory and honor. For the marriage of the Lamb at last has come, and what? His bride has prepared herself. She's been permitted to dress in fine radiant linen, dazzling and white. For the fine linen is, signifies and represents the righteousness, the upright, just, and godly living, deeds and conduct, and right standing with God's, God of the saints, God's holy people. The bride of Christ. We, all, we talk about the bride of Christ. I heard, <clears throat> I, I uh, ran across an account of a man, his name was Brandon, I don't even know his last name. And <clears throat> he was on YouTube and I, I was uh, intrigued by the title. It says, in a vision, he saw 
what happens during the tribulation. And I watched it. Come to find out he's a man that works for Kenneth Copeland. And he had an all-night vision with Jesus by his side, his side. And this vision started with the rapture. And it took him all the way through the tribulation. And um, the first thing that he pointed out was this. Um, the first thing he basically said was that Jesus face-to-face -to -face told him, Go tell my people I am coming. That was one of the first things. But one of the things that startled me the most was he said, not every Christian will go in the rapture. He said, if a Christian is living like the world, they will be left behind. And I thought, well, that's going to upend a lot of people's theology. And I thought, do we dare teach that? And I thought, do we dare not teach that? Because, you know, if I'm wrong, that's fine. If I'm wrong and says everybody that's named the name of Jesus is going to go in the rapture, then no problem. But what if that's not true? Because in the vision, he saw Christians that were left behind, and they were so mad at their pastors for not teaching for teaching a sloppy grace message. They could live any way they wanted to. That they wanted to kill that preacher. And that preacher was left behind as well. So incidentally, if you're interested in any of that, for the next two Wednesday nights, we're going to be showing that vision. This coming Wednesday night will be the first part of it. The second, next Wednesday night will be the the second part of it. Because I think everybody needs to hear it. It's the one vision that I have heard that bears witness with my spirit all the way through. And every other thing that I have read that is credible about the tribulation. We're in serious times, people. On May the 24th of this year, I woke up with the presence of God in my bedroom. And God said, I am coming soon. And he said, prepare the people for my coming and they will be ready for anything. That's my mandate. I don't know if he'll come in my lifetime or not. He's going to have to hurry. But, you know, if he's telling this generation, I'm coming soon, I think he wants this generation to get ready. And I would not put it off. So my uh, challenge to you is pursue Pursue holiness. Not just holiness. No, just act holy when you come to church. That's fairly easy. Be holy in your, in your home. In your relationships. 
learn the love of God. Learn to develop that love of God. Because God knows your heart. And if you have aught against anyone, let me warn you, this is a big sin in the eyes of God. A big sin. And it takes, the way of escape is to forgive. Loose it, let it go, drop it. Let it go. It's not worth it. And let me tell you, if you think that you're going to be left behind when the rapture happens and you're going to be able to stand firm, I'm telling you, if you can't stand firm now, you won't stand firm then. Because all of the presence of God will be taken out of this world and it's going to be a mess. And I, you know, I'm not saying this to scare you. But if you need scared, I hope you are. I want to end with 2 Peter 3, verse 9. The Lord does not delay and is not tardy or slow about what he promises. According to some people's conception of slowness, which would be mine. He is long-suffering, extraordinarily patient toward you, not desiring that any should perish, but that all should turn to repentance. Next one. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will vanish, pass away with a thunderous crash, crash and the material elements of the universe will be dissolved with fire, and the earth and the works that are upon it will be burned up, this is at the end of the tribulation or maybe at the end of the millennium. I'm not sure. Since all these things are thus in the process of being dissolved. Question. What kind of person ought each of you to be in the meanwhile? In consecrated and holy behavior and devout and godly qualities. You need to answer that question for yourself. What kind of person ought you to be? God's given us a way of escape that we can be what he has made us to be. If we pursue, what are we pursuing? We can pursue godliness or we can pursue the world. We can pursue godliness. We may not be 100% godly when we start. We may not be the first year, the second year, the third year. I don't know how long. But we can get more and more. Glory to glory to glory to glory. But you turn back. Go back into the world. Seek things from the world. It's not going to profit you. Not in this day and hour. Are we ready? Are you ready? It has been our honor to offer this message today. If you would like to partner with us as we continue to bring the Word of God, we would ask that you prayerfully consider supporting Victory Center with a financial donation. You may do so today via the online giving portal at victorycenter.org. Thank you.